Lord, we are here for you and we want you, God. Lord, we thank you this morning for the amazing news of the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, that you love us so very much. Every person in this room, God, you love so much. Lord, that you gave your one and your only son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we know that we are made for you, God. Lord, our hearts long for only what you can give. And we thank you that, God, while we do not deserve it, Lord, you choose to give it. And, Lord, you paid the highest price, Lord, the price that was needed in giving yourself, Lord, for us. God, there is no greater love. And, God, we can be satisfied in you. Lord, would you teach us, Lord, just to find our home in you, to find our rest in you, to find our joy in you, and find our hope in you, Lord. And would you help us, Lord, by your spirit and grace, Lord, and your awesome living and active word, would you help us to learn from you, God, and to have that wisdom, Lord, to know how it is that you have designed us to relate to others, Lord. We thank you, we submit this time to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Well, dating and singleness. Uh, I was going to have you turn around and just tell everybody around you what you are, but I won't do that. Uh, Some of the single folks in the room would get too excited and be like, yes, I get a girlfriend. And uh, some of the non-single folks in the room would just be awkward. So um, I won't ask you to turn around and talk about where you are and where you've been and what you think about it. But I do know that these two topics are... um, very much in the, in the forefront of our hearts and our minds. Some of us uh, are in the middle of these seasons right now. And again, some of us know people who are in the middle of these seasons. And uh, so, of course, when we, we were looking at the series for the summer, one of the things was, okay, relationships. I, I had to just teach. I wanted to teach so much on what God's word says about dating and about singleness. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's not very easy for me to condense a survey of the Bible down into a single message. I told Robbie two days ago that I really have decided in the middle of the series that I want to preach a whole series on each one of these topics that I'm spending one week on because it's just, it's too much. Don't get scared. I may not really do that. But what I'm trying to say is it's just so much that God does say and God's word is so helpful. I never want you to think that the gospel is just about your salvation and getting you to heaven and yet doesn't meet you in your daily life. God's word and the gospel actually meet you where you are. And what we need to do, be doing as students of the word, what I want to do is your pastor is to help you understand how to apply the gospel and God's word to where you actually walk in your daily life. And for many of us, that is dating and singleness. A few things I want to show you. I just want to go ahead and say right up front, I know you bring some things into this conversation. It's the exact same as last week, all right? You bring culture, you bring uh, your own ex- experience, and also I believe you're here this morning because you're seeking God. And so... Our backdrop for approaching this topic is what our culture says. And I'm just going to tell you right now, culturally, uh, we are, I think, and, and again, I am not typically a very pessimistic person. I'm just trying to be objective. And I do think that our culture is shifting further away from God and his standards for relationships in particular uh, per our conversation today than, than we have seen in the past And so when you watch shows on your TV at night, when you look around at friends that are dating or single, 
when you uh, look at what even our, our government puts forward as policy and morality, I believe you're going to have a harder and harder time to truly seek out God's will if you're just looking at culture. In fact, I think if you have your eyes and your heart and your mind set constantly on culture, more so than on God's word, that is actually going to be a hindrance to you. It's going to be a difficulty for you to get past to actually know what God says. So I do encourage you to keep setting your mind, keep setting your heart on God, which is why I believe you're here, and that encourages me. Secondly, you do have experience that you bring into it. I know for some of us, um, I know in my own life, I mean, I dated for a while before I dated Michelle, and man, I, I, I still have scars and wounds uh, from past relationships that God is healing in me, and that definitely affected my relationship with Michelle when we first started, and and I know probably to this day there are things that still affect me and us from those past um, choices that I have made or that she has made or both have made. Some of us have had similar experiences in our dating life where uh, we have regret or we have guilt or maybe we had really good experience and we can't find that same experience again after a breakup or whatever, but we do bring that in. And we need to acknowledge that. Uh, some of us are single and we don't want to be or or we were married and now we're single and, and that's difficult. Um, we all bring experience in. And, I, and I, I greatly value, I mean, having Rob and Gloria sit here this morning and speak from their experience, there is good that we can learn from God, from others' experience and from our own experience. But I don't want experience again to be higher in our hearts, our minds, lives than what God says and who he is and what his word tells us. So we have to consciously, consciously subject what we see in culture and also our own experience underneath what God ultimately says and submit ourselves to God and let him lead us and let his word be our highest authority. Does that make sense? So that's really, I just want your permission this morning if it's okay. I just really what I want to do is just kind of survey what the word says about this topic because ultimately that's really what we need to know and then try to figure out how that works out in our daily life. And I do want this to be an uberly practical message for you. I do want you to see that last week's message, in particular, the passage on Ephesians 5, if you you weren't here, I do want you to go back and listen to that on podcast from last week. A right understanding about marriage is foundational to both single people and to dating people. A proper, biblical, right, God-centered understanding of marriage is foundational for you understanding how to be singular or how to date. Uh, T- Tim Keller says this. Again, I'll, I'll point you to resources again this week. There's a, that stack of books right there on that table is all dating books that I want to recommend to you. They'll be out on the table in the lobby after this. One of them I mentioned last week, he also talks about singleness, the meaning of marriage by Tim Keller. He says in here, that single and dating people cannot live their lives well without a balanced and informed view of marriage. If they do not have that, they will either over-desire or under-desire marriage. And either one of those ways of thinking will distort their lives. Again, if you don't have a right, proper, biblical perspective on marriage, you will find yourself either over-desiring it or under-desiring it. And in either place, you're going to have a distorted view of your life. And that's not what God wants for you. So again, foundational to this conversation is understanding a right view of marriage. And I won't re-preach that, but go back and listen. So I'm going to start this morning with singleness. We're going to spend about 10 or 15 minutes on this. We're going to take a little break. 
and then we're going to shift toward dating, okay? And we're going to spend another about 10 or 15 minutes on that. And so can we just start with singles? Everybody cool? Everybody in the room is single? Never mind. All right, singleness. All right. Honestly, one camp of people in the world today look at singleness and they say what's on the screen, yuck, right? I'm so sorry you're single, poor, pitiful, you. Oh, I'm, I hate that you're single. How, I know I'll just be praying for you, a spouse. I'm going to be praying for that boyfriend. I know how hard it is to be single, honey. I used to be single and that was just one of the hardest seasons of my life. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about? People like that. Some people look at you when you're single. Maybe I can just get one witness from a single person and somebody look at, look at you and they think, oh, poor pitiful person, they're single. And that is a submarital state. It is, it is less than the best that you could have if you're a single person. Anybody ever feel that way or get treated that way? Okay, that's just the first camp. The second camp is this. Some people look at singleness and they go, yay, you have reached the pinnacle, man. Oh, to be chained, enslaved to another person? What a misery, right? Your life is for freedom, self-actualization, dude. Singleness is the best. You get to control your life. You get to leave any relationship whenever you want to. Being single is rock star status. It is super marital. It's better than being married, right? Some of you might have heard that. Anybody heard that? Feel that? Our culture increasingly is promoting singleness. Some ways good, some ways bad, but... That is being seen as a good choice now. So the question for us is, how do we view it? And what does scripture say about it? I want to turn you to a single passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we briefly survey singleness this morning. How, what does scripture actually say about singleness? Because again, I want to, I want to submit our, our selves to scripture not look at culture, not rely on our own experience, but again, look at what Scripture says. And very interestingly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul actually, in his letter to the church of Corinth, which he's addressing many things, but, and we don't know all the questions that they had asked, but one of the things that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us in God's Word, chooses to tell us in 1 Corinthians 7 is this. Start in verse 7. Paul says, right after he talks about marriage, he says, I wish that all were as myself, as I myself am. Paul's single. He says, I wish that everyone was single like I am. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. Paul says here, verse 7, singleness is something that I wish all of you were. And he actually says that it is a gift given by God. Verse 27, skip down just a little bit further. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? In other words, are you single? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Keep going. Verse 29. 
This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those of us who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they're not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So, we go back and we say, well, how are we to view singleness? Some people would say from Genesis chapter 2, maybe Ephesians chapter 5, well, it is not good for man to be alone. So, singleness is not something that anybody should want. It's not what God wants for any of us. But, we have a passage like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that says... If you're single, you're in a great place. And I wish that everybody would be single. And if you're not married yet, don't worry about seeking to get married. You're fine. And the, the question has got to come to your mind, well, which is it? Is it better for people to be married or is it better for people to be single? Anybody asking that question? Because it seems to have this kind of tension between those two principles in Scripture. And the reality is, what Paul goes on to teach here, specifically in verses 28, or 29, 30, 31, he basically teaches us that, look, when we have our hearts transformed by Jesus, when we have our lives transformed by the gospel, meaning that we now know that our lives are not so much meant for one another and only for this world that is, but our lives are meant for God. And God loves us so much that he gave his son for us that we might have relationship with him. The superior relationship in our life and actually the only relationship that can totally, perfectly, eternally, intimately, personally satisfy you. The only one is the relationship that God has made available for you in Jesus. It is the ultimate and the best relationship in your life. And now we know that this world is passing away, that Jesus is making not only me new, but you new and all who put their faith in him and this world new. So therefore, the ultimate purpose of our life is not to be single or not to be married, but rather to know God, to be one with him and his son Jesus, and to live redemptively in this world as he lives through us waiting for the day that we get to be with him face to face. That is ultimate. Are you seeing this? So Paul says, therefore, don't concern yourself with whether you're married or whether you're not married. Rather, concern yourself with whether you are in Jesus and concern yourself with living fully for him. So I put on here, neither marriage or singleness are ultimate and perfectly fulfilling, but only our relationship with Jesus. It's really interesting, uh, Christianity was really the first world religion that said, guys, it's totally okay, it is totally okay for you to be single. So long in world history, marriage had been put forward as really the only viable option for people who wanted to have a lasting significance, who wanted to have honor and legacy in their life. It was. If you didn't have kids, you know, you know we have that, that card game, Old Maid. 
right? It's got a negative stereotype, doesn't it? For so long, our world has had a negative stereotype toward people who don't choose to get married, who don't have children, who don't have that lasting legacy or permanence, and also security in many of our, many cultures of the world has been tied to whether or not you have family or kids. But Christianity came along and said this, listen, it's not bad for you to be married and it's not bad for you to be single. In fact, it is good to be married and it is good to be single because neither one of those lifestyles are ultimate. Rather, a relationship with Jesus is. You can be perfectly satisfied, perfectly happy, find legacy, fulfillment, family, with or without a marriage relationship. Because the most, the most ultimate relationship that you need, the most ultimate marriage you need is with Jesus. The most ultimate family that you can have and acceptance that you can have is not with your spouse, but with the church. The most lasting legacy that you can have is not with your children, but rather being a part of what God is doing in the world. Therefore, marriage is not ultimate, but being in relationship with God is. So be okay with being single. And in fact, what's so crazy in some of our minds because of our background or maybe what others have taught us, what can be so crazy to us is actually acknowledging that singleness is a good status. And it is blessed by God. The word gift is used there in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says that singleness is a gift. What this means, folks, if you're single today, I just need to encourage you. You are not living a lesser life. Some of you in your heart maybe need to just breathe a sigh of relief. If you are single this morning, you are not a lesser person and you are not experiencing a lesser life because you are single. If it was a lesser life, then you have a problem with Jesus and the word that says that Jesus was perfect in every way. And yet we know that Jesus was perfectly, contently single. If it were a lesser life, then Jesus didn't attain perfection for any of us, and he sure didn't have the joy that he said that he had. Paul, who says, I've learned to be content in all things. Paul must have lived a lesser life if that was the case, because he, his whole life, was single. We, I could go person after person after person. What I'm saying is, being single does not make you a lesser human being and it does not lessen your experience of the fullness of what God wants to give you in life. Singleness, in fact, is a good thing. And Paul says that some people are given singleness as a gift. First Corinthians chapter 12 goes on to talk about the gifts of the Spirit to the church. One of the gifts is singleness. You can't deny it in Scripture. It's a gift. It's a gift to some for a season. It's a gift to others for a lifetime. But it is a gift. And it's a good gift. It's a good gift. Our view of singleness must be radically transformed by the gospel. Our view of singleness must be radically transformed by the gospel. Did you know that marriage doesn't last in heaven? Jesus went out of his way to say that none of us will be married or given to marriage in heaven. 
marriage is a temporary gift here on earth. But it will not be in heaven. If you believe the words of Jesus, that's just what he says. You will not be married nor given to marriage in heaven. That's what Paul's saying. This world is passing away. Therefore, don't get so caught up on whether you're single or whether you're married here because we're moving toward the same place where we all get to be, those of us who've put our faith in Christ, we all get to be with God. Don't view marriage as ultimate. View God as ultimate. And find joy in whatever season of life that you're in because in that season, God has something good for you. Did you know this? And then I'm going to have to move on to dating. There are some things that God can do through single people that God cannot do through married people. Single people have a unique opportunity in the season of their singleness. Paul says, I would rather not any of you be married. And the reason he says that is because he says that marriage actually distracts us from a fuller devotion to the Lord and to the work of ministry. He says that marriage can actually be a hindrance to us. Therefore, singleness has a special opportunity to make much of God and to show him in a unique way. There are things that single people can do that I just cannot do. And when I watch single people and their relationship with God and their relationship with others, there are things that I see of God that I cannot see looking at my marriage relationship or other people's marriage relationship. Listening to Rob this morning, I see parts of God that I have never seen in myself. And I think you would agree. Singleness has a special place. And the question is, How can you maximize the season of singleness? I'm not trying to enslave you to the season of singleness. What I'm trying to say is you don't need to be enslaved to the idea of marriage, nor do you need to to be enslaved to the idea of singleness. You need to be enslaved to Jesus and realize that whatever season he's put you in, there's an opportunity to maximize that season for him. If you're single this morning, I want to tell you it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You're not a lesser person. It's a gift of God. And you can live a happy, full life as a single person. Don't let waiting on something in the future that might be in your heart, something that you're not experiencing that you kind of wish that you would, don't let that hinder you from living the life that God wants you to live today because of who he is and what he has for you in this season. Amen? It is a good, good thing. Finally, I'll leave you with this. The need and pursuit in singleness is this. To learn contentment in God and then to serve others. The thing about singleness that I do not appreciate about our culture sometimes is that many times people look at singleness and they think, oh, it's great to be single because you can do whatever the heck that you want. They view your personal freedom and your independence and your autonomy as superior to anything else in your life. And that's not how God views your singleness. And that's not how Paul addresses your singleness. He says the good of singleness is that you have an increased ability to love and to serve others with the gift of the season that you are in. 
So don't use your singleness for yourself, but rather use it to serve your brothers and sisters in our needy world in love. And learn in singleness that you can be content in God. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and in chapter 4 that he would give up all things to gain the one thing that was most necessary, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, I count as loss, as rubbish, all other things in order that I might have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 4, I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether facing hunger or whether facing plenty, whether facing need. Listen, the secret is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do I think that Paul had some kind of superhuman thing where he never desired to be married or he never struggled with singleness? Absolutely not. I think Paul and many of the other single people in the scripture absolutely have the same struggles that you have in your singleness. Wanting things, desiring things that maybe they don't have. It's not wrong to do that in the middle of your singleness. But what's wrong is to think that you cannot be satisfied unless you have a husband when God is over here saying, I can satisfy you. When you make some other kind of relationship, the, the hoop that you have to jump through in order to live a happy life, you're saying to God, there's something more satisfying than you that I want. That's an idol. What the gospel does is it says to us, our marriage relationship is not ultimate. Our marriage with Jesus is. And you don't need to desire physical marriage more than you desire Jesus. You can be content in Christ. Gloria said it this morning in her time of singleness that she gave herself a sabbatical room because she knew that her heart was pursuing men and she needed space just to say, God, you are the one that I need. And I'm telling you, if you can push in and learn that contentment in singleness, I believe that you can live a happy and full life in God. Amen? Singleness. That's what scripture says. All right, we're going to make a transition real quick to dating. I want you to watch this video from ChristianTingle.com. And I'm John. And I found God's match for me on ChristianTingle.com. I joined Christian Tingle after going on over 50 dates on other online dating sites. I forgive you. Thanks. I never went on a second date. Um, after I mentioned that I was saving hand-holding for marriage. So I joined the website, and as soon as I saw your picture, I thought, man, she is hot. Thanks. What? You are. When I saw her Facebook profile picture, I was like, I've always wanted a woman that's had the most devoted devotional ever devoted. Honestly, I wasn't very attracted to him at first. I mean, I thought he was hot, but I was afraid that he was going to be too into himself. When I saw his profile picture, everything changed. I was like, praise you, Daddy, for showing me this man who is willing to be seen holding a third world orphan. I was in Africa on a mission trip. Why else would you go to Africa? There was this one little kid. He was actually the son of a guy that went with us. 
here in Atlanta. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that was Jason. Favorite pastor on there? One, two, three. David, David Platt. That was too easy. That was really um, easy. Okay. Favorite Sonic Flood song? One, two, well, everyone only knows one Sonic Flood song. Right, right. Favorite secular band? Switchfoot. <laughs> this is real love. Tell them about the ceremony. I think what we really wanted was a worship service. We made sure that we had communion on the way in. We had communion on the way out. Yeah. We had communion during our vows. And obviously, we didn't have a bar at the reception, so we had more communion. One thing most people don't know about with Christian Tingle is there's an app that you can get for your smartphone. When we were dating, mm-hmm. I feel like the app was just... It was a godsend. When you keep it in your pocket and you're on a date, it'll send an alert every time that your phone goes from portrait to landscape. <laughs> if it wasn't for the father, the son, and the Christian Tingle, I wouldn't have met the love of my life. If you're looking for someone to date other than Jesus, look no further than ChristianTingle.com. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, as you can tell, that is not a real thing, but it should be. That was amazing. Um, dating, all right? Is it wrong for us to desire to date? Uh, no, it is not wrong. Is it okay for you to desire to date, to be married? Sure, it is fine. Um, it is fine. As long as you know that it's only God that can perfectly, completely fulfill you, and as long as you're not overly desirous or overly afraid of marriage, listen, Move toward marriage. It's completely fine. You have permission to do that. Let's talk about dating just briefly. First thing we got to ask is what is dating? All right? The reason we have to ask this is because historically, and even biblically, dating is kind of a new phenomenon. Did you know this? Dating is kind of a new phenomenon. Um, If you look back to like ancient times all the way until like the 18th or the 19th century, what you will find is that the way that most marriages happened was through what? Arrangement, right? It happened through families that took their son or their daughter and connected them with another family who had a son or a daughter who they believed would be right for marriage. Um... Romantic love was not really the, the leading thing in those arrangements. It was part of it. Uh, finances, the ability for the man to take care of the woman and the children and the, the societal and family arrangements, all of that played into it. But if you look at the history, dating really didn't come about until the early part of this last century. In the late 18, 18th and early 19th century, you saw what we call it's the emergence of what's called courtship. Anybody heard of courtship? Courtship meaning that um, it started basically allowing children to get a feel for the other children, but it was done in the context of a family environment. So what would happen is if you were a girl, you would actually have the, you would take initiative to invite a boy over to your house. And you would go out on your front porch and you would sit with him. Under The boy would meet the dad and it would under the supervision of the family. And very much the family was involved in the decision. But still, the boys and the girls would begin to sit together and decide whether or not this relationship was something that was going to work out. It wasn't until 
I think it was around 1914 or so, according to Tim Keller at least, that the, the word dating was first used in a publication. Isn't that interesting? Like 100 years ago. It was the first time dating was actually used in a publication. And what we have seen since then, dating is this idea of a man and a woman no longer pursuing one another in the context of a family, but rather going out, right? Now we go outside of the home and we seek entertainment, we seek meals, and we seek all the things that happen outside the home. And the ideal is that romantic love here in the West, we think romantic love should guide all of our pursuits. We're just finding that perfect soulmate on Christian Tingle, you know, the one that we have been completely waiting for and ready for. That is what has been guiding the thought of dating for the last hundred years or so. And what we have seen is really a devolvement of that to now in the last 10, 20 years, we have seen the emergence of what could be called the hookup culture, where now it's not so much about dating because that takes now even more commitment, more relationship, more hard work than we need. So now we just want the enjoyment of the physical relationship of dating without actually having the commitment of the relationship itself. What are we to do with dating biblically? That's the question that I've got to deal with in like the next 10 minutes. What are we to deal with biblically? Where does it fit? Does it even, do we even, do we have any basis to go to scripture and find out what it looks like to date God's way? Well, what we see in scripture is marriage, most definitely, but there's really not a lot in scripture about how to get married. A lot of people point to like Isaac and Rebecca, but I look at that and I'm like, seriously? Like, do we, do we want to go back to the time when my mom and dad picked my spouse for me? Like, is, all the, is that all the Bible says? And actually, I think the Bible is intentionally vague about the process of how to be married, how to lead up to it, rather giving us principles for how to live our life and how to pursue our significant others rather than prescribing for us a specific form of how we should date. That's just what I see in scripture. So what I want to do this morning is go through in a brief way some principles that I want you to see that God has for you for your dating relationships and for others that you may know. And then I want to point you to resources that I've got for you to go deeper into each one of these. So if you've got something to write with, I encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. Always date with marriage in mind. Always date with marriage in mind. To date, you really have to understand marriage. One of the things that I am troubled by in our culture is this idea of just casual dating, just entertainment, me-centered, self-centered type dating that is really based on you having just a fun time with, you know, palling around with people of the opposite sex in romantic ways, rather than intentionally moving toward the relationship that we do know that God would have for us, that relationship at the end of dating, which is marriage. One of the things I just want to counsel you for biblically is this, that you should not date apart from a desire to move toward marriage. And some of you are going to immediately freak out and say, oh my gosh, do I have to know I'm going to marry somebody before I go out with them for the first time? What do you think about that? Well, how could you possibly know that, you know? I don't think many of us would date unless, you know, if that were the case. But what I'm saying is, if you are not seriously 
dating for the purpose of moving to find your spouse that God, we know in his word, would have for you, then you shouldn't be dating. Don't date just to date. (laughs) Date with the intention of moving toward marriage. You could, it's just a matter of semantics of what, what you want to call it, but I like the courtship idea, although I don't think the word courtship relates to anybody today, right? I'm courting Michelle, you know? That's stupid. I don't want to say that. I like the dating. I like the dating. But what I'm trying to say is the mistakes, the, the, the regrets that I have in my past, in my dating relationship, are those that revolved around dating people who I knew, I knew marriage wasn't in the future. I knew our relationship wasn't even reflective in any way of the relationship that God would have between a husband and a wife. And yet I stayed in it mainly because of the enjoyment that it brought me or the benefits that it brought me. And I want to confess that I have mistreated women in my past because I was just dating them to date them. They might've been moving toward marriage and I knew breakup was always in the future. And yet I continued to lead them emotionally, spiritually, physically in a more intimate way. And that, my friends, is not God's desire for you. The end result of dating should be marriage and your dating relationship should reflect in increasing ways the marriage relationship. If you are not serious about marriage, listen, I will tell you this. If you couldn't see yourself being married in the next year, you should not date this year. That's how serious I think we should take dating. If you couldn't see yourself getting married in the next year, you should consider whether or not you are ready to date this year. Some of you that's freaking you out, I see laughter in the room, people going, oh, heavenly day, I'll never date. What I'm trying to say is dating is not primarily for your enjoyment, but it's primarily for you to move toward marriage. That's the whole point of it. And if you're not serious about moving that way, just stay away from it for a while until you believe you could give yourself to that. Because in the dating relationship, it's not about your selfish motives. It's about living selflessly, just as husbands and wives are called to live selflessly to one another. And in fact, let me say this, and I know I've got to move on. One of the things that I think is troubling about our culture, I used to have a standard for how I was going to date girls. It was called the triple G. Gorgeous, godly girls. And we... We used, we used to debate which G was more important. That's up for grabs. Anyway, one of the things I think is troubling our culture today is we are looking for the perfect spouse. It's mainly driven by sexual desire and financial desire. We want someone who's hot and sexy and gorgeous and has everything put together. We want someone who's stable and able to provide all of these things. We are so selfishly motivated. We have a list of more, listen, there's no person in the world that can match the list of the stuff that most people have they want to date. And it's keeping a lot of us away from marriage or dating. In marriage, According to the gospel and God's word, you're not called to be selfishly motivated, but selflessly motivated. It's not about what you get from your dating partner or from your spouse. It's about what you can give them. It's about you saying, I believe in what God is doing in you and I want to come alongside of you and encourage that and serve you in that. Does that make sense? If we had that attitude in dating, we wouldn't be so fickle and picky, although I do believe in compatibility and I do believe you should be in love and look at your wife and get the hots and all this kind of stuff. I do believe in that, but ultimately it's about serving, not being served. Date always with marriage in mind. Secondly is this, invite community input. 
invite community input. If you are dating in this room, I wanna tell you that scripture encourages all of us to live in the family of God's church. We should never live apart from the counsel of those who are in God's people. We are no longer strangers and aliens, Ephesians 2 says, but we are now joined together as one people. Pastors and shepherds have been given to be overseers in your life. Your parents and your um, surrounding immediate family have been given to you. You should honor them and what they say. You should want to listen to them, especially if they are seeking God. What I'm trying to say is this. In dating, it troubles me always when I see someone who is in our church begin to date or is in my life begin to date. And rather than them come around me a lot or come around the church a lot, that person begins to move further and further toward isolation, separation, estrangement from the community that God has placed in their life. That that always raises a red flag to me. Why, when you start dating, are you moving further away from the people that at one time you were the closest to? You should want community input in your life. Proverbs says that the one who doesn't seek counsel fails, but the one with many advisors, his plans succeed. There's practical wisdom in God's word. You should triangulate in your dating relationship. Bring your friends around your dating partner. Let them tell you what they think of him. Let them give you an objective opinion. If you're making out, enjoying all this kind of stuff in dating and getting free meals, listen, you are going to have a skewed opinion. You're going to have a skewed opinion of what that person, who that person really is and whether or not you should be dating them. The emotional involvement, the physical involvement, the spiritual involvement that comes in dating will actually skew your perspective from seeing objectively whether or not this is a person that you should date. Involve your community, all right? Triangulate, number three. Guard the sacredness of sex. Guard the sacredness of sex. I'm not one who, who likes all the list of boundaries and, you know, I, if you're here, here, you know, make all these rules. I just don't think we have a rule-based religion. Rather, we have a spirit-based relationship with God. But God does give us principles. And one of the things that he says is sex is specifically designed for and only for a covenant marital relationship. I could point you to a million scriptures in this this direction. What I'm saying is sex does not make sense apart from marriage. My ring does not make, if I just wear my ring and with not being married, it doesn't really mean much. Sex doesn't really mean much apart from marriage. Baptism doesn't mean much if you're not a Christian. Sex is designed in such a way that it is to be the completion, the climax, the culmination of the physical, emotional, spiritual union that God joins in two people. And outside of that relationship, it is sin. It is not God's desire. It is not God's best. And it is not God's will. And so I'm encouraging you to see that You should stay away from that until you are married. I'm not one that would say put up a lot of emotional or spiritual boundaries in your dating relationship because actually I think if you're dating seriously, like I said, toward marriage, you should see an increase of all of the other things that lead you in deeper union with one another. But don't get involved in emotions or in spirituality or whatever if if you can't control it. If all those things that you're talking about doing together lead you to the bed, stop those things. 
Because that is a sacred place for the union of one who has totally committed themselves in lifelong covenant with one another. Number four, do not allow deep emotional involvement with a non-believing person. This is another plain principle for dating from the scripture. Do not allow deep emotional involvement with a non-believing person. Now, if you're in a relationship today, I understand the great sensitivity to this issue because I know there are those who are in relationships with non-believing people. There may be non-believing people here, and we're so glad that you're here. This is not to belittle non-believing people. What this is doing is elevating the, the seriousness of what happens in marriage, which is that God joins a man and a woman in every way, physically, emotionally, and at the deepest part, spiritually. The deepest part of your soul is what you believe about God. And listen, if you have a dating partner, much less a spouse, that doesn't at their deepest level have the same love for God, the same view of God, the Holy Spirit living in them, the same passion for God, if you don't have that, you cannot be as one with them as God says you need to be one with them. At the deepest level, he wants the best for you, and the best for you is to be one with another who is one with him. Several times in scripture, the Lord explicitly says that we should not be in relationships with those who are not believers. I want to read them because of the number of questions that I get coming in my office about this. Verse 14 of chapter of uh, chapter 6. God raised the Lord. Oh, that's not right. Oh, <laughs> uh, where are we? 7 verse 9. Let's read that one. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That's not the right one either. Guys, I have totally, totally messed up my references. Hold on. It's, huh? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm reading 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Thank you so much, whoever was so wise. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. In 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul says, if you are going to remarry, make sure you marry a believer. Again, these are God's principles. Do not be emotionally involved with someone who's not a believer. Now you can go out with them, but I'm saying don't get in a deep dating relationship with them because again, that leads toward marriage. And what you know about marriage is that's not God's best for you. Next, find a fiance on the front lines. Find a fiance on the front lines. What I mean is this, some people wait around to get involved in church and get involved in ministry to commit the things that they feel called to in their life. They wait and 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 wait, hoping and praying for that one that's gonna come along that will allow them to fulfill all of those deepest hopes and dreams. Like a Disney movie, it just ends all perfectly from that point forward. That is not what God wants for you. There's never a time in your life that you shouldn't be passionately, eagerly, sacrificially involved in the things of God and in his church. And in fact, it's in that place of involvement that you will, I believe, find 
your future spouse because you want to find someone who's just as eager, just as excited, just as passionate for the work of ministry with you that can run the race alongside of you. Does that make sense? Our companions in life don't fulfill us. They encourage us and help us as we run the race that God has assigned for us to run. Got it. Next. Love God supremely. Be careful about obsession or selfishness. When you are dating, don't be obsessed with dating. Because again, dating is not supreme, God is. Don't be obsessed with your dating partner, wondering what they're going to do and if they're going to stay with you and how long they're going to blah, blah, blah. Don't be so obsessed. Love God supremely. Trust him with all of your heart. Don't put your trust in another man or another woman. Let him guide your emotions, not somebody else. Gloria gave a great testimony to that today. And don't be selfish with your dating. Guys, if you're dating in this room and you don't intend to marry that girl, do not keep leading her emotionally knowing that one day you're gonna break her heart and that heart's gonna be having to give into another man. Listen, if you are in it for the physical, the emotional, get out of that. Just go ahead and call it for what it is. You are a selfish person. You are a selfish person and you are abusing somebody else who's serious about dating and you shouldn't do that. You should not do that. Don't be selfishly motivated. Rather in love, serve one another. Finally, know God's grace and power to satisfy, to forgive, to heal, to restore, and to redeem. This is a huge barrier for me to overcome before I started dating Michelle. I didn't allow myself to date Michelle for a while. I didn't even allow the thought to come in my head. And even when we were dating, I didn't allow anything that would move toward marriage because I had so many scars, so many wounds, so many past mistakes, so many failures in my life previous to Michelle that I thought a girl like her could never love me and I could never be the man that she needs me to be. I could never do it. And I allowed those things to keep me in a place of guilt and of bondage and of thinking that there, I could never attain to the kind of relationship that God actually laid out in his word. And some of you are there today. You're, you're, you're dating less than God's best and it's because you're stuck in guilt, past shame, failure from past mistakes. Know today that God's grace is available to you. The blood of Jesus was poured out to cleanse you from your sin and from your unrighteousness. His power is at work to forgive, to heal, and to restore you. Your relationship can be what God wants it to be. Even if you're saying, you know what, we've screwed up some things already. Listen, today can be a new day for you. It could be a fresh start for you. Let God fill you with all that he is and let him take you to where he wants you to go. Amen? Dating. It's a wonderful gift of God, but I want you to pursue it God's way. Well, that's all I have for you this morning. I pray in some way that God has been stirring something in your heart today. And this is our time of response. So I want you, what I want you to do is this. In the next few moments, the band will come and, and play our final song together of worship. But I just want you to get in a place where you can reflect. You can just sit with God. And you can reflect on who he is and who he has called us to be. 
You've heard this morning that God and only God can satisfy you. And if you're not in that place, that's the place that you need to start this morning of saying, God, I know that who you are and what you have done for me in Jesus is all that I need. And Lord, I want today to feel again in my heart a sweet rest in just knowing you, God, and trusting you, letting your satisfaction that you bring in my life through your son, letting that be enough for me. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's where you start. If you wanna come pray, if you wanna join this church, I am here. I'm here to talk and to counsel you. There'll be others who come as well. Maybe you're in a place of singleness this morning and you've been wrestling with that and you've felt like, oh no, I can't do this. I don't want this. This is not, this is a lesser place for me. And you've heard this morning that it's a good thing that God can really give you so much in your season of singleness that he can use you in ways that he can't people who are not single. And it's a gift to be maximized for his glory. Maybe today for the first time you could say, God, I just want to surrender my singleness to you. I want to learn to be satisfied in just who you are. Even while I wait, even if it's not a forever thing, God, I want to make the most of the season that you have me in and believe that it's a good thing. And I want to trust you that you're going to fulfill my greatest hopes and dreams even while I surrender to this season of singleness. If you're dating, maybe this morning you need to just bring your dating partner down here or come down and just pray and say, God, would you help me to date in the way that you've laid out in your word, in a way that doesn't violate your principles and your commands in a way that shows the honor that ultimately dating leads toward. And that is marriage, that relationship between you and your church. God, I want to date in a godly way. I want your spirit to be in me as I pursue my dating relationship. You pray, you be with God, make the decisions that he's calling you to make. I'm here if you need me.